Welcome to the Treasure Valley Real Estate Show with Kurt Wilkins, brought to you by WeLoveIdaho.com. Good afternoon. Welcome to the Treasure Valley Real Estate Show. This is Kurt Wilkins, your host. We have a couple of guests with us today. We're grateful to have on the show. Please introduce yourselves. I'm Dave Fogden. I'm Lejean Boudreau, and I'm an attorney here in Idaho. And both the, both of these gentlemen are attorneys and well practiced in the area of real estate law, and that's what we're going to talk about today. There are a lot of issues that occur with real estate, and most people, if they have a problem, wait until it's a problem and it's too late. And so we're going to talk about how some of those issues can be addressed before they become a problem. First of all, tell us about your background and, and how long you've been practicing and a little bit about your ELC team, would you? Sure. ELC has been around in one form or another for um, about 15 years, focused primarily on real estate, uh, construction, and other business transactional work. Uh, We do do some estate planning. Our real niche has been owner representation, both inside and outside the state of Idaho. Can you define owner representation so people understand what that means in in a real estate transaction? Certainly. There are often times that there is a need for um, an owner or a group of owners, uh, be that a partnership, entity, or individuals that have more complex transactions than what most real estate agents come across that are going to need some additional help. So that can range from construction of a new uh, high-end residence to apartment complexes to shopping centers and malls to just an individual purchasing from maybe from out of state that's purchasing a nice home up here in Idaho that wants to make sure that they are adequately protected. You know, one thing you and I talked about is on a more expensive home, uh, new construction, uh, you help negotiate often a cost-plus agreement with, between the builder and the homeowner, correctly? You're representing the homeowner, but you assist in, in drafting that agreement, Correct. Yeah, you know, we've talked, um, I'm not a real fan of of the term cost plus because I don't think that it really articulates what's going on, but we do help these owners with construction uh, jobs make sure that they are properly represented, that there are contracts between the trade and construction professionals and the homeowner, the homeowner realizes what's going on. And you you talked about um, real estate agents not being familiar with some of the the intricacies of a more expensive purchase and that you assist with writing contracts and reviewing those contracts and so forth. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. Um, You know, we're fortunate in in the state of Idaho in that um, the Real Estate Commission has put together a series of form contracts that work just fine in a fairly simple transaction. As these transactions um, and as the value of the homes continue to increase and the transactions become more complex, there is uh, the need for additional contractual relationships between the parties, especially on the construction side where we've got contractors that are accessing the, the property and subcontractors that are then developing contractual relationships with the contractor versus the homeowner there's a lot of moving parts. I don't know that it's overly complex in anyone's mind. There's just a lot of parts and pieces that are moving around. You know, in the past, in this valley, the need for a contract really didn't exist. Um, Everybody could move forward with a handshake and the jobs got done. 
Uh, we currently live in an environment that I firmly believe that that's just not possible anymore. So we have to create the relationship and make sure that both the homeowner is protected and the expectations between the different trades are, are really realized. And that goes from the general contractor. If you have a general contractor, um, as a homeowner in Idaho, you can be your own general. Uh, if that's the case, then you're going to need to interact with all the trades on your own, and you need to have contractual obligations and responsibilities associated with those relationships. Tell us how people would get a hold of you or your firm if they wanted to contact you regarding a legal issue. Well, they can certainly go to our website. It's elclegal.com. They can reach out to us at either LeJohn or I or Eric or Beth. Um, We're on that website, and they'll get to any one of us. Um, Or they can come by our office there at the corner of uh, McMillan and Ten Mile. Wonderful. Let's shift gears now, and, and Lejean, we're going to ask you a few questions about legal issues that recently have come up that might affect buyers or sellers in Idaho. Can you share some of those things that you have dealt with recently? Um, I can. Some of the most recent ones that we're dealing with right now are folks who are paying money up front for work to be conducted later on, and perhaps they, they're on a verbal agreement or there's no contract whatsoever. They're paying $20,000, up front for a remodel or a construction project or a landscaping issue, and then the contractor or whomever is supposed to do the work just bails out and never to be seen or heard of again. So that's one of them. Another uh, issue right now is folks, particularly that are coming from out of state, that are putting down large deposits on lots or putting money down with builders. Uh, maybe it's not a, a reputable builder, similar issue, maybe it's on a verbal agreement that there's going to be a contract later on, or uh, the contract that is is there is poorly written, and then the builder or the developer just takes the money and sells a lot to someone else. And then the folks who put out this large sum of money are, are wondering, well, what do I do next? Like, what's my, how do I get this money back? What course of action can I take? Let me, let me circle back to uh, the, the contracts. In Idaho, if it's, uh, if it's an oral contract and there's a breach of that oral contract, the person who has the, the, the victim of the breach or the person who gave the money away um, and is now trying to get it back, they have to take legal action within four years uh, under, under the Idaho statute of limitations. If there is a contract, depending on even if it's a poorly written contract, the statute of limitations is five years in Idaho. So they have to take legal action within five years or their claim for damages is forever barred. I don't recommend in my my part of the transaction that anything be verbal, right? Everything I want everything in writing so that we have something that we can both see what the intent was. You guys probably recommend that too from a legal perspective, don't you? That they get everything in writing. Oh, a- absolutely. the The recommendation is always that there's a contract. Unfortunately, we're we're seeing this more and more. Uh, is that everything? People are right or wrong. They're they're inherently trustworthy. Right? They meet someone face-to-face or over the phone. They think that they're talking with a reputable person, and they have a, a verbal agreement. Everything seems like it's fine. Maybe folks do a little bit of due diligence. They look on Facebook and see that, oh, this person has uh, what appears to be a, a legitimate website, and, and they're, just, they're, they're trustworthy, and they move forward in a transaction without a contract, and it's just on a, an oral or a verbal agreement. And then when things go wrong, they're like, well, hey, how do I get my money back? You're not adhering to the terms of what we agreed upon. And then it's it comes down to the, well, I said this and 
the person that I had the agreement with said this, and then there's finger pointing. And so to, to get around all of that and to really offer the most protection for the purchaser or buyer is to, is to get into a written formal contract. For many owners, you know, part of the problem is that they walk into these transactions and they fundamentally believe that this is just the way that it's done. And I don't know that I see that any different outside of the Treasure Valley for the transactions, large and small. It always amazes me how individuals that I suspect are fairly sophisticated and financially well-heeled are, are not as due diligent in the process that they take for these real estate transactions. I mean, in many cases, you know, when someone's buying a million-dollar home, that's probably one of the largest purchases that they make in their entire life. And they've worked hard to get to the point where they can buy a million-dollar home. But yet they they come to the valley, and again, I see this outside of the state of Idaho as well, and they just feel like, well, that's the way that everybody's doing it, so that's the way that we should do it. They don't really want to rock the boat. And, and then what happens is we have to rock the boat for them after the fact when they're sideways with a particular deal. And, and uh, another, another issue that, that we're seeing is uh, conflicts of interest, so dual representation, where there's a real estate agent and that person is representing both the buyer and the seller, whether the seller is selling a new build, if, if the, the real estate agent is representing the, the builder, and they're also representing the buyer, well, there's a conflict of interest there. And people aren't necessarily recognizing that, or the, the realtor does a good job of explaining their way through the conflict of interest, knowing full well that they're going to get both sides of the commission. And where, where we've seen issues arise is where the, the realtor has maybe a, a longstanding relationship with the builder. And even though they say that they're putting the, the seller's interests on par with the builder, in reality, what they're doing is they're hedging themselves and they're hedging their own relationship with the builder to protect the builder. So in those situations, uh, I feel it's best to have dual representation just to eliminate that, that conflict of interest. Tell us about the difference between small claims court and litigation. And wh- where would a where would a homeowner do a small claims suit versus going to an attorney? What, in what cases would that be appropriate? So small claims court jurisdictional limit in Idaho is $5,000. So anything that's $5,000 and under, uh, you can get into small claims court. People can represent themselves. The process is fairly laid out on the Idaho State website, or they can, they can find information on, uh, through the court system on how to file a small claims court. Uh, you, can have, you can hire an attorney to, to help draft the pleadings and and help talk you through the damages, but uh, an attorney cannot represent folks in small claims court. So, let's say there was a someone paid forty five, or, or let's say jurisdictional limit. Let's say somebody paid five thousand dollars to a contractor. That contractor was supposed to come back and do work. They'd never called, no show. They'd never heard from them again. That's a good point where the person can take action in small claims court. Anything above the five thousand, so five thousand to ten thousand dollar limit, it goes to the magistrate court. That's a small window. So anything within that that damages section is going to be in the magistrate court. Anything above ten thousand dollars in the state of Idaho goes to the district court. That's going to be the majority of breach of contract claims. Anything above ten thousand dollars is going to be in district court. You have to hire an attorney. Uh, the re- recommendation is to not go it alone and not be pro se, uh, although people can. But the attorneys have done a very good job of making the, the legal system so complicated, and it's it's necessary to to hire an attorney to, to help navigate through that. So those are the jurisdictional limits. You have anything $5,000 and below, small claims court, 5000 to $10,000 is in the magistrate court, and then anything above the $10,000 uh, damages limit is going to be in the district court. 
definitely need to hire an attorney to help navigate through that process. And, and that's your um, your claim limit. I mean, there, there have been times where we've uh, spoke with potential clients and they may have a $6,000 claim or a $7,000 claim. And we explained to them that given the cost of just to start litigation and the risk associated with it, it may be a better approach for them to settle on $5,000 at the small claims limit and take it to small claims court. That makes total sense. You and I were talking out there earlier about fence encroachments, which is really a common issue in Idaho. There's lots of fences that have been incorrectly placed for many years. Can you, in a nutshell, just tell us how you resolve that issue for a homeowner that's arguing with a neighbor over a fence? Yeah, get along with your neighbor a little bit better (laughs) is the best way. You know, adverse possession with the change in Idaho a number of years ago to lengthen the amount of time that that adverse possession would actually need to be in play really isn't the mechanism that you're going to look at. In subdivisions where the lots are identified, the um, homeowners are paying the taxes on the full lot, It's you're, you're going to have to litigate it. And um, what you're going to have to do is get a court to give you some injunctive relief of some type, tell the neighbor to take it down or to allow you to take it down, pay for the cost, and then you may want to quiet title a little bit just in case um, they have some claim to that uh, piece of property that they've uh, had possession of for some period of time, whether it was an old access road or they use it as an easement or they laid pipe on it, really doesn't matter. So the best way to resolve that is to figure out how to get along with your neighbor and get those issues resolved. Because once neighbors get entrenched, it's just not good for anybody. And uh, I think this is a a good segue into the cost of Litigation. So if someone sure. if someone were to, it, let's say there's a breach of contract or there's an easement dispute or, or any of that, the cost of litigate, it's expensive. It's, it's timely. Some folks generally think that uh, they're going to potentially initiate a lawsuit and this is going to be done in, in three months. Potentially it could be six months to a year or a couple years before you get a resolution. So the cost of litigation generally... To get started, it's anywhere between five to ten thousand dollars. That's if you're going to seek injunctive relief, if you're trying to get the the court to order someone to do something, or to decide that yes, there's been a breach of contract, and yes, there's some damages. That's just the initial starting capital, five to ten thousand dollars to get there. Again, that's why it's important to hedge on the front end and really uh, understand what the transaction uh, people are getting into, and to have uh, an attorney review the documents, look at the contract and really properly advise someone uh, on the front end versus trying to unravel someone's mess later on down the line. I'm glad you went there. LeJohn's our uh, litigator. That's his primary focus for the team. And the, his statement is 100% correct. Our, our job really is to keep him from really having much to do. You know, we want to make sure that these documents are in place. We would love to see more of the agents, um, the real estate agents in the Valley spend a little bit more time having a favorite attorney that they can reach out to. You know, most of the real estate agents focus on who their favorite builder is because that um, is a, a direct result of potential um, commissions that they're going to get paid. And they don't spend quite as much time as I'd like to see identifying who their favorite attorney is, that they can have their clients spend a few hundred bucks just to review stuff. You know, one of the things that um, I think, it, again, it's 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 an artifact of the form documents that the commission has created 
is really there are some places to fill in blanks. You know, a lot of agents take legal license to not only fill those blanks in with a whole bunch of terms and conditions, but add extra pages that really then make the document much more complex than I think it was ever intended to be. So to the extent that we can get involved in the process early on, uh, our hope and our, our main focus is to make sure that there's never an argument on the backside. Well, Dave, I'm just saying right now on the radio, you're my favorite real estate attorney. <laughs> <laughs> we appreciate and, that a And lot. I recommend you. And that's important, you know, in relationships. You, you trust people, and you know that they're going to do what's right by you. And uh, everybody I've interviewed on this program are people that I have known for years and I trust. And so that's why I invited you to be on here today is because I trust you. Tell us why uh, it would be advisable for buyers or sellers to – Talk to you before they get in trouble instead of after. Well, I think we just talked about that a little bit. Um, Again, the nature of the growth in the valley drives uh, complexity. And I think that complexity then drives a different set of expectations. And so unless it's a simple buy-sell, which it is hard to do when you don't have a lot of input, you're talking about a new build, you're talking about something down the road, you're talking about someone coming in from out of state, it then becomes much more important that the expectations be articulated properly. And that, in in essence, that's what a contract is. I mean, a contract is a document that tries to articulate what the expectations are and what the ramifications of not meeting those expectations are. And as long as everybody knows that, uh, I, I often used to tell people, you know, we can enter into a contract willingly. We can also breach a contract willingly. As long as we understand what that means, it shouldn't be a big deal. I mean, we we are free agents to do what we think is is best for us to do. I, I guess that's where we try to drive people is let us understand what it is that you want, and we'll try and help you accomplish that. Perfect. Let's talk a little bit about CCRs and some of the uh, oh, it, but do we have to? Well, I think we do because they can be such a problem, don't you think? Yes, yes, they can. You're probably involved in lots of can of worms with the CCRs. So tell us about some of the issues you guys have, have addressed with resolving those. Well, I don't even know where to start with CCNRs. Um, CCNRs are, are part of the document set that's created when homeowners buy a home and essentially become a shareholder in a corporation. And I think a lot of subdivisions after the initial incorporators and the initial developers are long gone really lose sight of what these documents are. It's a contractual relationship between the homeowner and the corporation, the HOA, right? The difficulty then becomes trying to change CCNRs to reflect whatever is going on in the world as it is, you know, 10, 15, 20 years after the initial development was done. Most often we are engaged by an HOA that now has got some issues associated with their CCNRs. Some of them are ambiguous. Some of them are not to the current standard of the statute, which has changed over time regarding uh, HOAs and CCNRs. And some of them just don't have the information that you need in today's modern era. Um, You know, one of the the big issues for a lot of subdivisions now are short-term rentals, and that's not unique to Idaho. That is a growing concern across the country. 
recreation vehicles are a problem. Uh, the ambiguity behind words like screening is a huge issue. I can't tell you how many times we've been in the middle of a fight with homeowners about, hey, they tell me I got a screen and I screened it and they tell me that's not good enough and now they want to charge me. I mean, it's it's just we could spend a pile of shows just talking about homeowners associations and the the corporate documents as well as the CCNRs. I live in a subdivision that's about 25 years old, and the, none of the restrictions are enforced. I mean, they just don't, the homeowners don't care about enforcing them. Well, that, that presents another problem. I mean, these small subdivisions where there's not, you know, two or 300 homes may only have a dozen homes. Nobody wants to run an HOA. We, we had a recent case where the HOA actually ceased to, to exist anymore because the annual filings weren't done. It was administratively dissolved. No one really cared until someone cared. And now they've got some water issues they're trying to sort out, and they're not getting along with one another. And it's only a dozen homes, so it's a small subdivision. But, again, at the end of the day, this lack of enforcement or really understanding of what this relationship is can become problematic. On the other case, uh, my, my brother-in-law this last week got a letter from his HOA. He had a van parked at the side of his driveway on a gravel area. They said, you can't do that. So, there, I mean, there's, like you say, there can be a lot of conflict between the homeowner and the HOA over, over the well, way it's written. Remember, the HOA changes personality every time you get some new board members in <laughs> yeah. and their personalities change. So you might get some that are pretty lax and you might end up with some that troll the HOA because they got nothing else to do. We've, uh, we, we've been on the, the, the other side of that where folks have driven around and taken photos of the front of our house. Not, not where we're currently living, but in previous uh, subdivisions. And we've been fined for having a kid's play table that was left out. There was a photo taken, and they get $25 fine in the mail. I'm like, <laughs> yeah. So just the, the two polar, polar opposites of each other. Yeah. Yeah. I have tried to avoid living in a place with the HOAs, but I, I was unsuccessful with our last house. Tell us about remodeling issues that might come up. Lejean, what issues are people most affected by legally with remodeling issues? Well, again, what we're seeing in the market is uh, paying contractors early and uh, and not having not, not having a contract. So people paying fifteen twenty thousand dollars out of their pocket and moving forward on a verbal agreement to okay, come in, you're going to fix my kitchen, and again, the contractor is gone or comes in and does half of the work, does a shoddy job, and then and then leaves. One, trying to track those folks down. Two trying to take legal action against them to recover some, some folks' money. That's, that's really the big thing in the, in the remodels that we're seeing right now. So, again, to protect yourselves, to protect or folks to protect themselves, find a reputable contractor and have a contract in place and really have an attorney that represents you and, and can look at the contract and to protect your interests on the front end instead of trying to fix everything uh, or to have damage control when things unravel. Do you ever set up escrows for payment with remodels, or is that just with like a new construction contract? Depends on how the funding's occurring. I mean, we we don't take money into our trust account um, for escrow purposes, but most of the title companies in this valley will do that Mm -hmm. for a small fee. And we reach out to a couple of title companies that we've developed a long-term relationship with when we need to set that up, that works um, extremely well when there's a bank that needs to be involved, even on a remodel, if it's a large remodel. And we have done it for uh, self-funding. So we've had owners that 
are going to pay for the remodel over time, but they want to be a little bit more organized. Uh, we find that the title companies do a great job of reconciling the bills and the invoices that come in. They then uh, approve. We have a draw process that we create. Uh, it's just a simple approval process, similar to what we use with the bank. And the title company takes care of issuing the checks that have got the partial lien waiver language on the back of it. It becomes a very clean process that we try and use. And to add to what Lejean was saying, I mean, there are times in new construction and remodel where no one's trying to be a bad actor. But since there's no contract out there, the expectations just weren't clear, right? And so then you've got folks out there that are trying to make changes. We've got supply chain management issues. They're substituting materials. Maybe it costs a little bit more, but the homeowner isn't aware that these are going on. And when they get this bill that's different than what the budget looks like, they come out of the box. No one's trying to purposely behave in a, in a bad way. It, again, without a document, no one knows what to rely on and where they're going and, and what their process is. So we try and create a process. That's part of what we do with owner's rep is we help folks through that process that, and they can manage as much of it as they want. They can have us. We have some staff on board that are great at looking at invoices and asking questions and um, crunching the numbers and making sure that everything uh, meets the, the budget balance that they're supposed to. I, I feel like we've uh, beat up on, on contractors a, a little bit, the examples of, of contractors walking away. But we, we, I have seen <clears throat> numerous examples of people who, are, who want the remodel or who are purchasing a building and they want to make some changes midway through. They don't like the way that something looks. And that's at, to the detriment of the builder or of the contractor that's following through with what they say they're going to do. And to really hedge themselves, hedge the, the contractor or the builder, having the contract in place and guiding the buyer into, hey, this is what the contract says, this is what we agreed to, and this is what we're going to move forward with. We so, work with as many yeah. builder developers as we do ownership groups. Okay. Let's talk about what you can do to help people with their estate planning, with real estate, and passing it along to heirs with minimum tax issues? Well, we're not going to get very far in a minute or two, but we do some <laughs> estate planning. Um, well, we'll just have to have you back, I guess. Well, that'd be fine. I think, <laughs> I think, we, could come, I think we could come back. Uh, you know, you can use estate planning. I'll just leave it at this. You can use estate planning as a mechanism to really identify how you want your real estate wealth to pass to your heirs in the future. And there's a number of different ways to do that. And we won't Try and go into that uh, maybe on the next uh, the next visit, but it certainly is a tool and it's worth looking at. We've had a number of probate issues that we've had to deal with over the last two years, and some have had wills and trusts and have had estate plans that have been put together, and others haven't. And we find the ones that uh, don't have those put in place, it, it becomes uh, just a, a bit of a struggle to get through the process and deal with all the heirs and what they're um, grief-wise dealing with at the same time. Well, tell us who we're talking to and how they get a hold of you. Well, um, like we said in the beginning, uh, we are ELC Legal Services. Lejean is our chief litigator, and we've got two other attorneys on board and a couple staff people, and they can get a hold of us. 208-813-9220 is our main number, and they can ask for any of us or go on and Check us out online and read our bios. Well, thank you very much for being on the show. This is Kurt Wilkins, the host of the Treasure Valley Real Estate Show. 
just reminding our listeners that this show is on every Saturday from 3.30 to 4, and we, we welcome your input. If you'd like to get a hold of me, my number is 208-345-1400. My website is weloveidaho.com. You're welcome to post any questions there. We'll try to answer them on the show. A reminder also that I I represent sellers exclusively. So if you need to have your home valued or you're just curious about what's going on in the market, give me a call. I'd love to help you. Thanks, guys, for being on the show today. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you for the time. It was fun. Yeah, this is great.